0: Morning. (coughs) Every now and then I have this moment where I look around at um, those gathered in worship and I just am in awe (laughs) of what God has done. Um, From church planting eight years ago with dozen people who had no idea what we were doing. (laughs) Um, We read Psalm 66 this morning in pre service prayer. Come and see what the Lord has done. Um, And I'm grateful. And I get a little teary-eyed and a little emotional and a little, and I'm having one of those days today. Um, Yeah. Ethan, we didn't talk about, where did you go? We didn't talk about what I'm preaching about. Did we? Did we a little bit? No. Okay. I didn't think so. It was, it was, it's a very fitting worship set. Again, God is good. He speaks to his people. All right, well, good morning. Uh, This morning, you know, we we finished our Empowered series last week on Pentecost Sunday. Um, For the next two weeks, they're kind of one-offs that we're doing. Um, Today is a a standalone sermon that um, uh, the—you won't need that for a minute. You can can black it out for a Um, minute—is a standalone sermon that uh, the Lord has been— he's kind of been stirring in me for a little over a month now and it's something that I I think it's um, good and right to share with all of you because I think it's something that he is um, not only you know so often like he leads me through something because he wants me to share it or Josh or I to share it you know with you guys Um, and so I think that's where we're at and I want to give you a little bit of context uh, for where this all started so you don't think I'm totally coming out of left field with this. Like why Why, does she, why is she doing this? Does she think we're all depressed? Once you hear what <laughs> I'm talking about this morning. Um, so uh, a little over a month ago, um, I used Gmail. And you know how if you're like me and you save all your emails because you're just too afraid like you're going to need something? I, I think Nicole would say that's hoarder mentality, Leah. Um, but there's a lot of important things in there I might have to refer back to. But I get to the point where Google started yelling at me, you know, like, Hey, you're running out of storage. Like, you need to do something about this. You're going to stop, you know, you're, you're, you're using like 95% of your storage, you know, you better start deleting some stuff. And I got really sick of it yelling at me. So one day when I was just sitting around kind of doing nothing else, I decided, okay, fine, I'll go delete some stuff. And so I real quick went to the back arrow on my email and just rapid fire, you know, hit it like a whole bunch of times to get back to some old emails, to land somewhere, something old, not that important. So I could start deleting stuff I didn't need anymore and clear up some of the space. Well, I happened to land right in the thick of the beginning of COVID, the emails that were coming out like early 2020 or so. And I thought, well, you know, let's get rid of some of this mess. So I start going through it, and I'm purging and deleting. But I'm going through and I'm seeing things like um, the emails about school being canceled. Now, our girls were tracked out when that happened. Track it if you don't know, we have year-round school here, and there's different schedules, different tracks. Our girls were on a break and had been on a break for two and a half weeks when the shutdown happened. Um, so they never went back that year. And so we got these emails about, you know, well, school's canceled now. And then we got emails about, okay, here's your day at your time assigned by your last name to come and pick up all the stuff that they left and never got to come back for. Um, and then there were emails later about, you know, well, here's your, your day and time to come and pick up the Chromebook that the county is issuing your kids because we're going to start virtual learning. We're going to start, you know, online school And then there was all these conversations and emails uh, through church leadership about how on earth are we going to navigate this? What do we do? We have no clue. And then there's emails, um, setting up new therapists um, to help us, you know, cope with all the stuff that we were looking at. Setting up a counselor here. I don't know if you guys remember that, but if you were around, we had a counselor here who uh, she and I came in here and set up online streaming so she could do talks to try and help people in the church navigate some of the things going on um, and doing all that and those emails. There were emails about bucket list vacations being canceled, um, online summer camp that year, which was a royal disaster. Like, that, that was awful. And then there was virtual July 4th fireworks. <laughs> Good job, Holly Springs. That, that, too, was nonsense. And we laugh now it wasn't so funny then, you know. The one that really made me giggle was the, uh, the one where I, uh, the cannons and us were ordering um, toilet paper in bulk directly from Charmin because <laughs> you couldn't find it anywhere else. It took a while to get through all that. But, you know, what happened was I got done I purged all these emails and I sat back and I realized I don't feel so good matter of fact, I actually real f- really feel awful. There was a heaviness and a burden and a weight and just a, uh, ugh, about it. So much so, I actually went and told Josh, hey, I just did this thing and I really actually feel terrible. And I, I, I kind of started sitting with the Lord in that and, and realizing, um, you know what? I thought I was cool, but maybe I'm not really as okay as I thought. You know, Maybe I just kind of kept going out of this as this stuff faded into the background, and I never really processed through those hardships. Maybe I'm still carrying a lot of that junk. Maybe I'm still carrying the weight of doing really, really hard things and the the stress and the pressure and the anxiety of that. And, you know, as I dug into it, I I think what the Lord is showing me um, is that this isn't just about mental health. Yes, it's absolutely about mental health, and I have a therapist. It's okay. You don't have to. You're one of your pastors is fine. Um, and c- but you, also, you guys also know I'm a huge proponent of taking care of your mental health. Um, this is a big deal for me. I, 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 those of you who were on the women's retreat heard some of that story. Um, but I think it's also about spiritual formation. And that's where I want to go this morning because I think this is for all of us. So after this realization that, you know, maybe I'm not quite as okay as I thought, maybe I've just tried to, you know, move on without processing a lot of the last few years, I began to really wonder if any of us, or, you know, our culture, the U.S., our society, whatever, has much of a sense at all about what our new normal really is in any aspect. Because we talked about that a lot, right? This new normal, new normal. Well, do we have any clue? Have we landed there yet? Have we made it? Or Like, is this a thing yet? And so after a, a duly diligent amount of research and looking up this kind of stuff and trying to see, does anybody really have a good handle on this? Uh, yeah, no. I don't think we do. There's not really any conversations out there that I could find about, like, how we have reconciled the changes of the past few years or anything like that. You know, nothing about, like, how we've come to terms with the stuff that we've lost or what we went through, the struggles that we had, or anything. So I don't think we have yet, but I did find something that I thought was really interesting and worth sharing with you guys. So let me just kind of set the stage here. So now you can put that slide back up. There's a survey called the American Worldview Inventory. And this is a survey that's conducted by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University under the direction of Dr. George Barna. Now you might recognize Dr. Barna's name because he is the founder of the Barna Group who does a ton of research in the U.S. on the intersection of faith and culture. Like they're the ones who put out all the stats about churches and church growth and all that kind of stuff. Like who's growing where and what's you know, kind of happening in the intersection of faith and culture. And so this particular survey periodically takes the pulse of biblical worldview in the U.S., and it does it in both the church and in the greater culture. And one of these was just conducted um, earlier this year, and the results only came out like two weeks ago. So this is really fresh data, okay? And this is looking at 2020 to 2023 is, is what I'm about to give you. And I think it reveals what a whole lot of us have suspected, which is some stuff has changed. There's been some shifts. So listen to these shifts in just the last three years, okay? I'm not going to put them all up there. It'd be a little overwhelming with the numbers. But from 2020 to 2023, there's been a 20 percentage point decline. And this this one's in the general population. In the number of people who believe that they have a unique God-given calling for their life, so 20 percentage points, it went from 66% down to 46%. Among born-again believers, it's an even sharper drop. It went from 88% down to 46% people who believe they have a unique God-given calling for their life. So the percentage of self-identified born-again believers is now no longer distinguishable from the general population in who believes that God has a plan for their life, okay? The percent of people in the general population who believe that human life is sacred dropped 10 points from 39% to 29%. It wasn't real strong to start with, right? Right? So we're less than a third of people in the general population who believe that human life is sacred. The number of people who believe that God is the basis for all truth dropped 6%. The percentage of born-again believers who say that they are deeply committed to practicing their faith had an absolutely staggering drop from 85% down to 50%. Three years, guys. Just three years. And by the best estimates, the U.S. church has lost roughly 15 million congregants since 2020. And yet, listen to this, the number of people who reject the belief that salvation can be earned through works, so people ha- say who say salvation can be earned through works, the number of people who say, no, that's not right to that, is up 10%. And the number of people that believe the Bible is the true and accurate word of God is up 5%. So those last two are shifts toward a biblical worldview when so much else is pointing the opposite direction. Kind of bizarre, yeah? So you know what conclusion I draw from that? That there is a whole lot of confusion and inconsistency out there. And it's not just in the general population. It's in these walls, too. It's in our churches. So what I want to talk about today is how do we go through a confusing and difficult time like COVID so that we're able to actually heal and grow from that and not just end up defeated and detached and having absolutely lost our bearings, okay? I'm using COVID as an example, obviously, because this is something that is relatable to every single one of us. It's what started the conversation with me, with God, and it's something that we universally were affected by. I mean, this was literally a worldwide disconcerting thing, so we can all relate, right? We can all be on the same page with this, and it works well as something we all can relate to, and it's recent, and the debris is still kind of floating around out there, right? So it's still relevant, but maybe Maybe COVID isn't your thing. You know, maybe there's something else that's causing you to stumble. Maybe there's something else that has you in a bit of a fog. And that's okay when I'm talking about this. Just have that in mind and realize that this is speaking to that too. So we're going to dig in to navigating hard seasons by looking at them through a lens of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Okay? Now, this is a concept from a guy named Walter Brueggemann. He's an Old Testament scholar, and it's a really helpful like, vocabulary and paradigm for talking about the rhythms of life is what we're really talking about. We're talking about rhythms and seasons of life. Okay? And what he said that I found really helpful, and I think that from our life experiences, we, this can play out to be very true is that at any given point in our lives, we can tend to find ourselves in one of three places or experiences. Those three things I just said of orientation, disorientation, or reorientation. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by explaining to you guys what those are. So we're talking about the same thing, okay? So first, orientation. This is a place of comfort and security you know, it's, it's 75 degrees and sunny in your world, like all is good, there's peace and calm and purpose and contentment in relation to God, you're, you're in that, you know, Josh talked about Psalm 23 a while ago, you're in that Psalm 23 beautiful green valley and even though there might be chaos swirling around you, you're doing good, like things are fine. You know, we, maybe we have an image of God that's, like, working for us, like, it makes sense, like, yeah, it relates to our life really well. Um, we feel like we know the world, we, and we know God's kingdom, and we're comfortable with our place in both of those. We're grounded in that, and we're just kind of basking in God's goodness and enjoying the gifts that he's given us. You know, we're experiencing the order of his creation instead of the disorder of things. We're experiencing safety in the shadow of his wings. We've got adequate provision in this place of orientation. And praise and gratitude and thanksgiving come pretty easily because things are good, right? It's an experience that we would be totally fine to stay in indefinitely. This is good. I like it here. I'm going to hang out here. But that's not how life works, is it? And so the rhythms of life ebb and flow, and we know difficulties are going to come. And when they do, they often usher us into a season of disorientation. And so in disorientation, there's often some sort of event or a circumstance, maybe a crisis that propels us into this disorientation. It might be a significant loss. It might be a trauma. There might be a relationship that ends or shifts. It could even be a book that you read a teaching that you hear that really challenges some pretty core beliefs that you hold and shakes you a bit. Maybe someone that you love or that you trust did something really awful or or failed in some sort of way and it's just rattled you, you know, something that you never thought they were capable of or that they would do. Or it could be something culturally or politically, you know, such as a war or a economic hardship, something like that. But somewhere, something in your beautiful green valley has fallen apart, and it's left you in a haze. Now, this experience might be personal just to you. You might be the only one going through it. It might be a thing that happened just to you, and that can bring a feeling of loneliness and isolation and disconnection, or it might be broadly public, you know, such as in the case of, like, a natural disaster, 9-11, the pandemic, right? We're all kind of going through this together. For our Russian pastor friends that we support, you know, on the wall out there, for them it could be this war that their government has waged against Ukraine and the the effects that that's having on them. But either way, the negative feelings are associated with this season. They're intense and they're heavy and they're hard to bear. This is a phase of life that is characterized by an inner personal awareness that something's changing, something's shifting, something isn't the way it used to be. There could be like an internal angst that, you know, that way that you thought and believed and h- behaved back when you were happy in orientation, like that's not working anymore. Tighten this. You're not even sure that the image of God that you had back there is even right, may not even be accurate. You might no longer be sure of your place in the kingdom or in the world, and you might not be sure that God is at all like what you thought he was like. Now, in relation to COVID, it's all those questions surrounding our new normal, right? What's it going to be? Because we recognized pretty early on that the old normal wasn't coming back, didn't we? It might be (laughs) We aren't even sure what's ending and what's beginning. We just know we're in a tension somewhere. We're in some sort of in-between, caught in the middle, in the now and not yet, to use a vineyard phrase. This is characterized by vulnerability, fear, doubt, wanting answers is a big one. Or even just like some sort of sign from God. God, where is this going? God, when is this going to end? God, where's the off-ramp for this? this hurts. If you've ever been uh, river tubing or rafting and uh, you fell out of the boat and you're trying to stand up in the river, especially if it's kind of one of the shallower ones that has the rocks below there, you know what that's like, right? Like the current is pushing against you, the rocks are all uneven and they're slippery from algae and it's really hard to get your footing and you can't really see what's coming up at you. Now, if you fall out of the boat when you're, uh, like, river rafting with a guide, the first thing that they're going to tell you to do is get facing downstream, get your knees to your chest, and get your feet up in front of you to protect you from whatever unseen stuff you're coming up at, right? Just trying to minimize the harm that you can't see just below the water. This is what disorientation feels like because you are not in control. You're out of control. You're swept along, you can't see the unexpected bumps that are coming, and you are just trying to posture yourself to prevent harm until you can either get to the shore or get back in the boat. But you're vulnerable. A side note, you know, I I actually believe um, that deconstruction word is kind of a, a big buzzword in churches right now. I think a lot of the people who go through and experience deconstruction, this is where they really are. It's pretty rare that someone just decides all of a sudden to say, you know what, I'm done with faith and just do a 180. More often than not, something has happened to them or around them that has really shaken those certainties that they were once just so sure of. This place can also be known as the pit, as in, he rescues my life from the pit. You know, the pit is not just like a um, lost as in spiritually lost, pre-salvation sort of experience. The pit, the pit is also this experience of disorientation. It's You may have heard the phrase, the dark night of the soul. That fits here. That's what we're talking about. And so this experience, guys, like it can persist for weeks, months, sometimes even many years, and you just don't know. But eventually, we come to reorientation. This is a very longed-for time of rest and refreshing after a really hard time of disorientation. This is absolutely not getting back to the previous season of orientation that you left. This is new. This is new orientation. It's not regaining the old normal because that is long gone. Like, you couldn't even go back there if you wanted to. It doesn't even fit anymore. It's a new experience and a new normal of God both in you and in the world, and how you relate, and it's a chance and a time for you to live out all those things you both learned and unlearned back in the darkness of disorientation, because there's going to be those things, and the goal here in persisting through that time of darkness into this time of reorientation is actually not to get all of your questions answered that you had when you were disoriented. The goal is to know God himself better, and to have an experience of him that is deeper, It's to align your beliefs about God a little closer to truth as he reveals that to you. You're now going to see a whole lot of things differently. Yourself, God, theology, the church, the world. Things are going to have changed. But you might even be a little more at peace with a certain level of uncertainty in your life. Because God's taken you through this. And here's the thing guys, it's not even necessarily that your notions of God <laughs> were wrong. I mean, maybe some were, but in all likelihood, it's just expanded. It's just been broadened. Here's one for the younger kids. You know, we've been joking about this. Our family loves to play Zelda. It's it's the the video game and it is this huge open world game where you can run all over the place. I mean, it takes like I don't even want to say how long it takes to finish the game because that will be revealing of something. (laughs) But it takes a very long time (laughs) to finish the game. It's huge. Oh, okay, Riker spent way too much time on Zelda lately. (laughs) But when you start the game, you start with a map that's like this. This is all you can see. It's this tiny little circle with a few little places in it, and that's all you've got. Now, you know there's all this other map around there, but you can't see any of it. And what you have to do to unlock other pieces of the map is you have to go and find these towers and, and activate them, and that gives you, and when that happens, your map kind of goes whoop. This is kind of like what happens with our experience and our view of God as we go through something like this. That little tiny piece, stop laughing at me, teenagers. <laughs> you get it, don't you? Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That little tiny piece of map that you got oriented to that was your experience and understanding and knowledge of God just kind of went whoop it's like oh look at all of that look at all that that's there this is accompanied by feelings of breakthrough and awe and delight and thanksgiving your image of God is expanded and deepened and you might be walking with a limp but you're really great and happy to be walking again okay makes sense to you again it's a time when your trust in god is no <coughs> excuse me is no longer for him to do what you want or even what makes sense to you but to let god be god and be him and so reorientation is not a result of our own effort we can't do this it's a gift that god alone is responsible for and he gets all the credit for it he is the rescuer he is the redeemer He is the reorienter, okay? Now, tricky thing about orientation, though, reorientation is eventually reorientation becomes your orientation. And here we are again at the beginning of this rhythm of life. Because eventually, what's going to happen? As the rhythms of life do, you're going to be disrupted again. You're going to be sent back into that season of disorientation. And the second time or third time around or whatever, it might not even be that bad. It might not be that severe. It, you know, maybe it's something that doesn't last as long. Um, you know, maybe that season of orientation lasted years and years and years and you were good for a long time. But when it gives away, it's going to give away and you're going to go through this process again because it's not going to be sunshine and roses forever, right? Okay, where do we see this in Scripture? Well, the most profound and hopeful place that we see this rhythm of life being played out is in the life of Jesus himself, okay? Um, There's a a scripture I want to show you real quick that illustrates this really well. This is from Philippians 2, 5 through 13, and this will explain what I mean. Let's read this together really quickly. In In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Okay, very nature of God. Good, warm, 75 and sunny place, right? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. That's some darkness. That's some disorientation. But watch what happens. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Do you see it? You see the rhythm of life? You know, we sing that song, What a Beautiful Name. And there's a line in it that says, uh, you were the word at the beginning, the one with God, the Lord most high. And so in the beginning was the word. He was there in the beginning. He was with God, and he was God. The trinity in perfect unity is what that's a picture of. And that was a well-oriented, happy, peaceful experience for Jesus, (laughs) I can imagine. But then he became flesh. Then he put on humanness. He made himself nothing humbled, and he went through our full human experience, even death, on our behalf. Now, if you think Jesus wasn't rocked by this experience, you need to go back and read the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? We do this in our Good Friday thing. Uh, Guys, this was not a circumstance of his choosing or his desire, okay? He didn't want to go through that. He, He asks God, can the cup be taken from me? Can we do this any other way? He wanted out, he would have liked an exit ramp, but he persisted with the father through it. And as a result, he was exalted by the father to the highest place, reoriented in glory as the king of kings. Okay, Now, it may not make your disorientation go away, but there is a whole lot of hope and comfort in realizing that That when we find ourselves in a season or an experience of disorientation, we are walking the same path Jesus walked, and he walked it first. He walked through it, and he made a way. It might be in this time, in this season of disorientation, that you feel incredibly distant and disconnected from God, and yet it is in this very place of confusion that we might identify with him even more than any other circumstance. What an amazing thing to stop and think about and realize when we're struggling like that. All right, so going back to those three descriptions of the three phases, um, all the orientations, do those states of being, those descriptions of emotions and things like that, does that like remind you maybe of any particular chunk of scripture? Does that sound familiar, those intense emotions and all that? No? David, the Psalms. That's exactly right the Psalms. Job Job too. We're going to hit both of them. Good job, guys. (laughs) So you might, we we did a whole series a while back on the Psalms and talked about all the different kinds of Psalms. So you might know the Psalms as Psalms of Lament, Psalms of Thanksgiving, Psalms of Ascent, Imprecatory Psalms, you know, all these different things, so on and so on. Um, But the Psalms can also be thought about in these same types of categories because the Psalmist was writing out of that phase of life that they were experiencing. They were writing about where they were. And so the rhythm of the Psalms is like profoundly in sync with our human experience because they had human authors who were going through and living the same human experience that we do. Isn't that cool? And so because of that, we can actually use the Psalms to navigate our progression through these rhythms of life and through these experiences of orientation, disorientation, back to reorientation. And that's really good news. All right, so for example, let me show you one. Um, Psalm 40, which we're going to put up, this is actually a really good illustration of reorientation. Look what's happened here, the first few verses of Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. He out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. So obviously the psalmist had been in this really dark place. There's that pit again, right? This pit, this muck, this mud, this mire. But he's come through this by the grace of God with a new fear and trust in the Lord. He's experienced these new praises that are flowing out of this new place and what God has brought him through, right? So the psalms that that are like this, these psalms of reorientation, these are things like, the wisdom psalms, um, the psalms that are about like the order of God's creation, that are about his good law and how good his law and his precepts are, um, those kinds of things. Those are going to be psalms of orientation. They're, they're praises that the writer is writing when they're in this really good, solid place and a firm foundation in orientation. But today we're focusing on that second bit, the disorientation. Because that's where the really hard stuff is, right? That's where we need help finding our way. And there's also psalms for that. There's also disorientation psalms. There's psalms of lament. We use those a lot during COVID. Psalms of complaint or grief. Even these imprecations, imprecatory, imprecation psalms, which is actually like speaking a curse out of being upset or harmed in some way. So I said earlier that the Spirit was speaking to me that this is not just about mental health but about spiritual formation, right? Right? So how is that? Well, it's because when we find ourselves in one of these places of disorientation and darkness and confusion, we got a choice to make, don't we? What are we going to do with it? Are we going to cling to God? Are we going to cling to those core foundational truths that haven't been shaken? Are we going to ditch the whole thing? Are we going to say forget it? Give up on church and God and his people all together and just go back to living to for whatever feels good, you know, what scrambling back towards orientation um, and just trying to cling to something that we knew before because that makes us happiest. Or are we going to play the part of the ostrich? Stick our heads in the dirt and just pretend. Pretend like this isn't happening. If I ignore it, it will go away. And just by like sheer will and determination, You know, try to hold on to that old normal, even though it might not even align anymore with our curtain reality. Mm -hmm. It's better than the darkness. And at least it brings us some familiarity and comfort, even if it doesn't fit anymore. So those are our choices. Now, in the greater culture, what's the tendency? The tendency is to run, to avoid pain, to deny hardship, and to just go numb sometimes. But guys, it's the invitation of Jesus to allow him in to these seasons of your life. To sit with him in the discomfort, in the heartache. There is an absolute holiness, guys, to being present in discomfort and suffering with Jesus. Remember John 1.5. I don't have it up here, but it says this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Jesus has been through it, like we saw a while ago. And it's, he's in it with us. He's not just watching from afar, being like, wow, that really stinks. Hope you get through that. He's in it with us. And it's in this place of disorientation that we really grapple with what it means to walk by faith and not just by sight. Uh, when Josh found out what I was preaching about, he was like, "Oh, you! I've got this book. You got to read this chapter." And he ran and grabbed it. There's somebody in um, his, uh, well, being a pastor's cohort that gave it to him. It's called "The Sin of Certainty." I know that's an unusual um, title, but there in this mm. chapter, he had me. It was like, "Yep, spot on. Exactly what I'm thinking." But there was this one quote that I thought was so powerful that I wanted to share with you guys. It says this: "The darkness does us a favor." By exposing control as an illusion. When everything is removed, the question of what can I take back some control, where can I take back some control here, eventually ceases being the active question and is replaced with a plea Lord, help me let go of control. Help me die. Help me trust. You know, one of the things that I've learned already through all of this, guys, you know, I, Josh and I have a joke about, like, breaking the monotony. Like, we both have really tended to like change just for change's sake. What I've learned, yes. I don't really like change for change's sake. I like change that I'm in control of. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So I'm shifting. And God seems to work like that in our disorientation. And so there's an invitation to you to say yes To God to shift all of this stuff to shift you out maybe of a superficial or carnal living and into deeply desiring him and knowing him and living for him alone and here's the deal if you stay the course if you seek to trust God in this process and be willing to pray that really vulnerable prayer of God help me let go of control he dismantles Our dependence on control, our worldly comfort, our need to have all the answers, even our dependence on our own intellect and ability. And he shifts us onto this firm foundation that is his love and his grace. All right, so let's get really practical. How do we actually do this? Because, Leah, that's a really great idea, but this junk is hard. So what does this look like to actually do this? All right, well, first... Be really honest with God. Use those psalms of disorientation. You can literally Google psalms of disorientation, and it'll give you a whole list. You know, we read, we're going to read one together here in just a second. But use those psalms of disorientation to help you really express where you are and what you're experiencing and what you're feeling to God, and let him meet you right there, because he promised to be in it with us. So let's go through one of these together. This is Psalm 13. Now, you're probably really familiar with this psalm, but you might not have thought of it this way before. You might have thought, man, David's such a complainer. No, man, he was in some darkness. (coughs) How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. have you ever felt like that, let like God just say something? Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. He's going back to those foundational truths. There's love and there's salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. He's been good to me, and that's all he's got. Okay, God's love is unfailing. He has given me salvation. He's done good things. He's gone back to the bedrock of his faith. But there's all this other stuff he needs to pour out to the Lord. So how does that land with you guys, saying that kind of stuff to God, right? You've forgotten me. You've hidden your face from me. What's the deal, God? I don't know if you guys have seen this. This movie like 25 years old, something, called The Apostle with Robert Duvall. came out when we were in high school. So in this movie, Robert Duvall is a preacher, and he's pretty passionate with God <laughs> through the whole spectrum. And there's this one particular scene, and I don't, I don't remember what he was upset about because it's been forever since I've seen it, but he's really upset with God. And he's, like, up in this room in his bedroom, and he, he like, lives in his mom's house again or something because something's happened. And he's just telling God about it. Like, he's really letting it out. Like, he is super raw with God, with his emotions and his feelings and the things that he's saying. And when I first saw this, I remember thinking, just, like, feeling incredibly uncomfortable as a Christian watching this scene in this movie it really rocked my idea of what prayer looked like. Now, it's a movie. You know, I know that. But I had this idea that my conversations with God needed to be pretty sanitary or else I was being disrespectful. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're still there. Does that sound familiar and resonate with you guys? But psalms like this show us the opposite, don't they? God is the appropriate place for us to bear all those things out to tell him all those feelings and those needs and those hurts. Here's the thing guys, to withhold these types of conversations from the Lord as if we're like keep <coughs> excuse me keeping him safe for them, like that is like removing and withholding parts of ourselves from God's authority, from his sovereignty. I don't think we want to do that. I mean, do we really think, anyway, that he's, like, unaware of what we're going through? That, like, he doesn't know about our confusion or our weakness or how we really feel? Guys, God knows sorrow and grief. And he knows our sorrow and grief. And you don't have to fake it in front of him and have, like, you know, some sort of, like, pious decorum for him to love you. So pray those things to him like out loud, like actually out loud with volume, cry out to the Lord, use the Psalms, pray those things, say those things out loud, even those things that you're like afraid to give voice to because you don't even want to hear it yourself, like you don't want to admit it, pray them out loud, go for it. Because listen, y'all, acknowledging pain and heartache and hurt and admitting the things that, you know, admitting things are really broken, like actually acknowledging the things the way things really are, expressing those hard emotions that we have, none of these things are an act of unfaith or disbelief. They're not. That's shame from the enemy to, to keep you from connecting with your creator. Okay? Talk to these things about God. Take them to him. To the believer, when we voice this stuff to him, it's, it's an act of honesty. Really. Really. Right? It's a declaration that this world is still really broken. It is. And we need the kingdom of God to come in fullness here and now. And it reorients us back to God to say, Jesus, come quickly. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need you. We need the fullness of your kingdom in this brokenness that we're experiencing. All right. Secondly, and I'm wrapping up here, intentionally choose to enter into the process and let God be God. Whatever your current little map perception, because here's the deal, no matter how big your map is, it's not complete, right? Whatever your little map perception of God is, be willing to hold it openly, loosely, in open hands, so that the spirit can work and expand and deepen it and shift it where it needs to be. Now, remember we said, you, d- you don't have to discount it all as wrong. Just realize it's incomplete. It's the Holy Spirit's job to correct you and to show you the things that are wrong, that need to be corrected, and the things that just need to be expanded. Okay? You can trust him in this. He will do this work. You can trust him to do this. He's not counting on you to figure it all out. Job experienced this. So We're, we're hitting Luke's answer. This is what Job says to God in the last chapter of of the book by his name when he went through all that hardship and all that ache. At the very end of it, he says this. "Then Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand things too wonderful for me to know you said listen listen now and I will speak I will question you and you, will an- you shall answer me get this my ears had heard of you but now my eyes see you the new deeper expanded experience of God but here's the thing guys <laughs> Job didn't get all the answers. He didn't get all his questions answered from all that stuff he went through. In disorientation, the footing that can be found is found by remembering the character and the nature of God himself. This is our anchor in the storm. Job didn't get his questions answered, but he got an expanded view, a deepened view, an experience of God. All right, last one, number three. Journey with someone when you're going through this. Don't do this alone. We're not built that way. Proverbs tells us that if we walk with the wise, we will become wise. Find a counselor, a trusted friend, you know, someone you're close to, someone who has walked, this way before someone who's actually gone through this type of experience and navigated those that process through disorientation into reorientation and be really honest and transparent with them about what you're going through tell them in words definitively what you're struggling with it's not for them to like tell you what to do and how to fix it it's for them to be present with you in it it's for them to pray with you to see you, to acknowledge you, to pray over you. Maybe even to help you pay attention to the areas where you have some resistance to God and help you see those things that you can't see in the darkness. But to let you know that you are seen and you are loved through it. Because here's the deal, guys. There's going to be other Christians who are really unnerved watching you go through things like this. (laughs) Maybe you guys... Some of you had this experience. Your questions and your honesty might really scare some other believers. They might think you're losing your faith. They might think you're just rebelling. It's okay. (laughs) Might is not the correct word. Might, they will. They will. There will be people who feel this. But someone who's been through this before, who can relate and empathize with what you're going through, You know, you need them. They can be a trusted counselor and an encourager to you to help you walk through this and to actually persist so that you don't just give up and stick and stay in the mud and say, well, this is my lot in life, but to actually help you persist through until God's rescue comes, until he reaches down and pulls you out of the pit. And the good news is, guys, God doesn't intend for us to stay there forever. I don't want to end on this note. It's like, oh, God just left us in the muck and the mire. He doesn't intend for us to live in this state of disorientation forever. Joy comes in the morning, but it comes after the darkness. Loss and darkness and bewilderment, it's all the precursor to rescue, to resurrection, to new life. That's the gospel. That's the story of Jesus. There's resurrection from this. And so the hope is to move to a place of reorientation with our experience of God expanded, deepened as he reaches down and pulls us out of the pit as as it says as his light breaks forth like the dawn. So that's what I have for us this morning. Do you you oh you want to share? Um, yeah so we're gonna we're gonna go into a time of ministry um, Josh has got some words I, I just really feel like maybe there's some of you in this room who feel like me and you're like like I'm still moving but I'm not really sure like there's some baggage here like there's something still going on maybe some of you are fully in the thick of a season like this and you haven't said it to anyone and you need to come up and be really transparent and just have someone sit next to you a loved you know trusted church family member to just listen, not to give you any advice or counsel, those who are doing the praying, but just to listen and say, God bless you. He's in it with you. Let me pray for you. So we're going to do that.